Welcome back into the Card Chronicle podcast, recording this year, Wednesday night, April 14th, Mike Rutherford in Louisville, Kentucky, Dan Snards in Columbus, Ohio, but Dan, getting ready to make a triumphant return to the Ville this weekend, are, are you expecting, you know, I, I don't know, limos to pick you up, white carriage somewhere, just red carpet laid out everywhere we go? Yeah, the uh, the welcome home billboards better be greeting me right when I get off the Gene Snyder. Um, but no, I'm I'm uh, excited. This is like definitely the longest I've been pretty much in my life without being back in Louisville. So it's it's gonna be kind of weird. Um, we're staying with our our wonderful gracious friends, the Kirchers. We have kids around like the same age, so uh, that that makes it uh, good. But um, yeah, it should be a good time. Me and you are going to play golf this weekend. I'm sure we'll have some live footage out there somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a good time. I've touched a club one time in the past, I, I guess, since our golf trip that we took to Michigan last August. Here we go. Start with the excuses. Getting them in early. I hit four wiffle balls before <laughs> Virginia started collecting them up. I feel like I'm ready, though. I, I hit those four straight uh, in the backyard. I'm ready for the season. Uh, I'm focused. I'm ready to go. Can I also point out while we have the podcast, while we're on the podcast here, the lack of communication between you and your wife for this trip is something that was, I've never seen anything like this. Like, you're No, there's so, wait, I mean, we're going to see this weekend. There's so many different layers to it. It wasn't a lack of communication. It was a back and forth on whether I was going to come solo and just have a golf, like hang out with the guys weekend, or if. Her and the kids were going to come. They wanted to come, but they weren't sure if it was going to be convenient. And we went back and forth, but we didn't really keep you guys in the loop. And yeah, I I understand the frustration. That's that's fine. I'm I'm aware of the situation. But the fact that you guys were on such different pages about, I mean, you would be texting me. You're like, yeah, it's just going to be me, baby. Here we go. (laughs) Just Dan coming. And like, I'll go. I I went upstairs from literally having that text conversation with you to Mary being like, I think all, all the girls, I think Kim's bringing the kids to go through. I'm like, I literally just texted with Danny. He's coming by himself. I mean, the, it was jarring that you guys were on such different pages. And this happened for like three weeks. Like, neither one of you seemed to have any idea what was going on. But here we are. Whole Ima- imagine living in our house. This is how we go through life on a daily <laughs> basis. Like, one minute we're having you know, uh, spaghetti and meatballs. And I go upstairs and, you know, my, my wife's bringing home uh something different i don't know where i was going with that joke but um yeah no i i I understand the uh the lack of communication was probably a little frustrating but hey the gang's coming that's all that matters it's all that matters i'm excited i'm pumped it's gonna be a fun weekend um in not so fun weekend news i've got to talk about about this will be the mike in the mud segment that was kind of like a dan in the dumps to start the podcast but mike in the mud i've got to talk about the trip that we took last weekend to Florida, I mentioned on the last pod that we were leaving on Wednesday night, and this was kind of like a, I don't want to say last second type deal, but we, we didn't plan this way ahead of time. Uh, Mary, a few weeks ago, was just kind of like, you know, because of the pandemic, the three of us, just the three of us haven't been able to take a vacation anywhere, me, you, and the baby. And I wanted to be like, yeah, it's been like the best part. <laughs> like, like this was, <laughs> one of the only good things. Oh, no, I don't get to drive nine hours through the night with a one-year-old who can literally only appreciate goldfish and Minnie Mouse right now. Like, that's, yeah, like, like I'm, I'm so 
torn up that we haven't been able to do this, but she wanted to do it. She wanted to take a, a family quick trip, just the three of us. And um, so, yeah, I said, sure, it, it'll make you happy. That's that, that's fine. We're going to do this. So we drive through the night on Wednesday. I guess we leave like Wednesday, like nine o'clock for Florida, like little area, um, Rosemary Beach, kind of down there in that like Seacrest, Sea Pines. Nice. Everybody, you know, I feel like Louisville is always making that trip down there. Um, baby doesn't sleep at all on the way down. Just screams 80% of the time. So Mary doesn't get to sleep. I'm listening to little baby bum. I'm just want to drive off the road. We almost have like four wrecks. There's a, a car stalls out in the middle of the highway in buttfuck Alabama at 3:30 in the morning. Um, some weird redneck in the trunk in a truck like rides my ass with his brights, and we're like the only two cars. It's terrifying. It's a terrifying trip down, is what I'm trying to say. I can't get into all the details, but we make it. We're tired. We're dead. And when we get down there. I never got to go on, on spring break in high school because we played baseball and we had to go to Bowling Green, Kentucky, which was lovely. But we get down there, every just teenagers everywhere. Like, it's just a billion 17-year-old Dan Sennards, just shithead <laughs> kids. They've all got those little, like, shoestring backpacks. They're everywhere. I don't, like, we missed that era, but that's all happening. Um, we eat dinner outside the first night, like, right by where, the place where we're staying. Like 15 of these shithead kids are like 10 feet away from our table. I mean, it's just, bro, Grace is not that hot, bro. Like, like just homophobic slurs everywhere. And I'm just like, young men, can you please keep it down a little bit? My my one-year-old daughter is trying to watch Daniel Tiger on her iPad. You're like, do they serve here. coffee here? <laughs> yeah. Like, let the kid watch her iPad. Like, we're just trying to eat in peace. We're awful parents, but please just shut the fuck up. So that's going on. That's terrible. Um, second morning, I think second morning, may have been first morning. I've lost track of all days. Tornado warning throughout the area. It's just awful. I, I look outside. Trees are blowing in directions that I've never seen before. It's a just straight monsoon. The glass doors at the end of our hallway burst open like it's fucking twister. And I, I run over there, close them. Some other guy comes out, helps me. Mary brings out this like big ribbon and I tie the doors together. A lot of people were tossing around the word hero, Dan. I, I wasn't one of them. I would never say it. But people in this in this condo complex were, were saying that. that so That sounds heroic. 100%. It was pretty heroic. I mean, nobody else was going over there. I had to make the move. I didn't want to see this, this glass door shatter everywhere. So that happens. Like five minutes after that, the sirens start going off. We've got to go down and, like, shelter in this stairwell at the bottom of the place. Um, this couple is, like, holding each other. They're like looking like they're about to cry. They tell us the story about how they're from Georgia and the guy's parents' house just got destroyed by a tornado. So they came here looking to avoid tornadoes. While this is going on, Virginia is like laughing her ass off and, and just like <laughs> smiling at these people, which I, I can say now because everybody ended up being okay. One of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Like I felt so bad for these people. Like everybody's terrified. People are holding each other and this just, satanic baby is just like giggling and laughing and thinking this is the funniest thing in the entire world so uh i, I won't like 50 terrible things happened on this trip it rained the entire time the few times where it didn't rain like virginia wasn't all that into the beach we did have some fun but man like not worth the the, the nine hour drive to and back oh yeah of, of total monsoon and tornadoes and teenagers on spring break man Raining with the Rutherfords. Yep. I mean, it's just that happens. And I mean, 
you know I love Mary. She's great. And, like, she's, like, the happiest woman alive. But there is, like, that sense, like, when Mary gets a little bit, like, rattled. I, I kind of enjoy watching it a little bit. Um, not that I, And I'm sure, like, you guys took it all in stride. But I know well, when, it rain, when it rains on, like, our vacation, my wife, um, like, she wants to do her best to put on a brave face. But I can just tell she's ready to, like, snap at any moment when the sun's not out. My wife is great at most things. Handling adversity, <laughs> not at the top of the list. Like, if one little thing goes wrong, like, it's just full on, like, all right, it's like, Mike, time to pick up the pieces here. Like, like you're going to have to be the one here. We got a baby crying. We got a wife on the verge of tears. You're going to have to, like, do a dance or something. Like, this is this is where the comedy comes in. Say something funny. Do a dance. Yeah. On, you just got to, like, lie about the weather app. It's like, yeah, I think about, like, we got about an hour here. The sun should be poking through when, like, you're, like, looking and it's just, like, 80% chance of lightning for, like, the next 12 hours. Bill in the lobby told me it was exactly like this. Clear right up. Yeah, it comes and goes really quick here, I hear. Florida. What do you want me to say? Like this is this way it goes. Yeah, I mean that was that was basically <laughs> that was how the old week went. Um, also, while we were down there, I loved that uh, Louisville basketball picked that time, that four day span, to have maybe the three biggest roster announcements of the entire offseason happen. Uh, loved hearing that. We, I guess we'll start there when we get into the Louisville discussion. We've had since our last podcast last week four major roster pieces of news over the past week or so the first uh josh nickelberry whose career you infamously ruined here by calling him the microwave and saying how much you liked his game uh, and then like just watching him go over 55 for the next three that games. might have been the last shot besides the one random three he made in the acc tournament like after i called him the microwave, that might have been the last shot he made of the season i love this guy's game i mean just and immediately afterwards like injuries covid we'll always have that step back like between the legs jumper where i was like are we going to the final four i mean yeah i think that was number two on sports center's top play like we'll yeah. always have that moment but uh, Josh Nickelberry announces that he's transferring. Uh, that was right when we got down there to Flores, so I guess that was on Thursday morning. Um, the next domino was Carly Jones announcing that he's going to uh, put his name into the NBA draft, but still maintain his eligibility as a Cardinal. That, that's his words. Uh, those were his words, not mine. So him basically saying, look, I'm not transferring anywhere else. I'm not going to the portal, I'm not thinking about that. It's either I'm going to the draft or I'm coming back to Louisville for one more year. Um, and then Noah Locke, grad transfer from Florida, not grad transfer, he's got two years of eligibility remaining, uh, guard transfer from Florida, announces that he's committing to Louisville. And then just today, again, we're recording this on Wednesday, we find out David Johnson, he's going to the NBA draft. He's not maintaining any sort of eligibility. He, he's, he's all in. He's gone. His days as a Cardinal are, are officially over, which frees up one more scholarship for Chris Mack to use for next year. Out of those four announcements, because all four of those uh, pretty much expected. I, I don't think any of those shocked anybody who's been following Louisville basketball for the last few months. But outside of uh, out of those four announcements, which one affected you the most? Which which did you feel the most impact of? Um, I feel like it'd be weird if I said Josh Nickelberry, but I took that one kind of personally. <laughs> but um, I, I will say, I mean, I, I would probably say the. Noah Locke news just because I expected David to go pro um, and Carleek 
he's just going through the process. That's nothing that both of those didn't really catch me off guard. Not that like getting Noah Locke did, but I think it was needed um, with what we have coming back next year. It's obvious that Chris Mack is stacking shooters after what we went through this year. So I would say out of the four of them, that kind of opened my eyes the most. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you just because David Johnson, it would have been a shock to hear him say anything other than I'm going pro and and I'm not coming back. Um, Nickelberry, that news we talked about on the podcast, that was a matter of when, not if. It was a little bit interesting that it took this long, but the writing had been on the wall there for a while. With Carly Jones, I guess there's some substance there in that we'd heard that he'd been torn on this decision. We, we'd heard that it was possible that he might return. But this was the first real, like, tangible piece of evidence we had that, you know, there's a chance we could get Carly Jones for one more year. I still don't think it's – I think it's more likely than not that his days as a Cardinal are over. Um, again, people keep saying, what percentage chance, what percentage chance. People who talk to Carly, people who know Carly say the exact same thing. They all say the same thing, that one day his head's one place, one day his head's the other place. I still think it's probably, like – I don't know, 65, 35, 70, 30, somewhere along those lines as far as uh, I think he's more likely to go than come back. But I don't have any real, real significant insight there. I just can tell you what everybody else is telling you. Um, And and then the Noah Locke thing, we expected him to come. But still to get a guy like that, uh, I think is a big piece of news. Let's talk about Noah Locke real quick, because he was the guy I said – I wanted him more than Rocket Watts. But by the way, Kentucky reaching out to Rocket Watts now, please – (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I know we were, we were, uh, yeah, it, it's just funny how news in different places is like taken like, it, you know, when, when we did that, um, it, it, you know, they were saying we were kind of reaching and now of course it comes back to them. I don't know. It's just, it, it, it you better be careful about poking fun at any team reaching out to a player. Cause you never know what your team's doing behind closed doors, basically. Yeah, especially this year. I, I will say I think the safe money on Rocket Watts is him landing wherever Luke Murray wants landing, but we'll see. Uh, I, I know he's still shopping around a little bit, but Noah Locke, he chooses Louisville. He had scholarship offers from, I mean, a host of schools, one of the most highly sought-after guys in the transfer portal. Kansas offered him, Indiana offered him, North Carolina offered him, UCLA offered him, uh, so many schools offered him. He started 79 of the 92 games that he played for Mike White at Florida. He made 217 three-pointers over the last three seasons. Those are the ninth most in the history of Florida basketball. It's way more than anybody on Louisville's roster. Um, He left Florida just 77 points shy of being uh, in their 1,000-point club. Back, He was good this past year, but when he was a sophomore in 2019-20, he shot 48% from three in SEC play, which tied the highest outside shooting percentage in league play since 1996 in the SEC. Shot better than 40% from three uh, in both of the last two seasons, and 68% of his shot attempts for Florida came from beyond the arc. So that's the good with Noah Locke. Outside assassin, he's a reliable guy. He's not a guy that I think there's any possibility of him coming here and just you know, not being able to, to make shots anymore, shooting like 28% from three. He's a, a key piece in that regard. If you're looking at a little bit of the negative, not the most athletic guy in the world, not a guy who's going to be able to just you know get you a bucket off the bounce like Carly Jones. Uh, he also, Florida fans, if you talk to them, they are very, very critical of Noah Locke's defense. 
Uh, I saw this throughout every fan site writing about him, every site, uh, every account that was tweeting about him. I went back and watched a couple of condensed Florida games. It's hard to get a, a real feel for his defensive prowess, but I, I didn't think he was terrible. And it's hard to tell, too, because, my God, these Mike White teams, like, they, they play so hard for five minutes, and then you watch them for ten minutes, and you're like, what the fuck are they doing out there? Uh, so it's hard to know how much is him and how much was just the system down there at Florida. But overall, I mean – He's not a Carly Jones, Damian Lee, I think all-conference type addition, but you know what he can do. He can knock down the outside shot. Uh, he handles it well enough to help out as a combo guard. I know he's been telling people that he wants to play more on the ball this year, which is a little bit surprising to me. But just your overall impression of, of this latest piece for next season. Well, we can look at it from like a glass half full or a glass glass half empty type deal i mean obviously the glass half full is it's always good to have guys in your teams that can make shots we saw how frustrating it was this year when you don't have that on a consistent basis and i think it obviously frustrated chris mack because we've seen what he's gone out and you know recruited here in the off season um but to me this piece really only works if you surround him with kind of the right supporting cast. I think most of his made shots, if I if I read correctly, um, were came off assists. So it, it seems like you're going to need some sort of playmaker to be able to get this guy the ball in an open spot. Because um, I don't know how much he's going to create things off the bounce. But like I said, it's it's never a bad thing to have shooters. Um, you know, we want to trust that Chris Mack you know, uh, works his defensive principles into this guy and, and makes him a good defender here. Um, so a lot remains to be seen. I mean, am, am I excited to see him? Of course I am. Um, but I'm, I'm more anxious to see what surrounding pieces we have. I mean, if Carleek ends up leaving, you know, that leaves us with L Ellis is really, you know, unless you can think of someone kind of the only guy I can think of as far as a creator, a guy that can take someone off the bounce and create for others. And we're going to definitely need more than that if we're going to compete in the ACC, because just having spot up shooters, it's only going to get you so far when you go up a, against a real, you know, athletic long team. No, I'm right there with you. I think my biggest fear with this is that we're getting Noah Locke one year too late. Because he would have been the perfect piece to put into last year's team where you know David Johnson is creating and David Johnson's a, a terrific uh, – he's got terrific vision. He gets the ball to shooters and, and right in that shooting pocket. And Carly Jones draws so much attention off the bounce as well. He would have been perfect on a team where, again, Josh Nickelberry struggled to make outside shots and struggled to, to stay healthy and get on the floor. Charles Midland was never healthy. You would have loved to have had him as a, a guy to come off the bench and be an assassin, maybe even step into a starting role if during that period of time where Sam Williamson was not playing great. Now you've got him. And I just think this roster is really, really interesting because I, I think you've got a lot of pieces where there's a lot to like, but I'm not, not sure exactly how they're going to fit together. And right. a lot of that length of discussion of, you know, Chris Mack has told players that he wants to play differently this year. He told uh, apparently told David Johnson that, you know, if, if you do come back, we're going to get up and down a little bit more, take more threes. Like, that's the way we're going to play. Who knows how much of this is just spitballing? Who knows how much of this is actually going to come to fruition? But my big concern right now, I've got two. One, front court depth, because you've got a lot of front court players, but at the five spot, Malik Williams has not been healthy for the last two years. Uh, we don't know. You can't just bank on him being fully healthy for five months next winter. 
Roosevelt Wheeler, who could be the, the, the next guy up at the center position, hasn't played a game in two years, really, uh, in high school. He's had injury issues. Gabe Wisnitzer, unless he makes a dramatic leap forward, I don't think is ready to be a guy who plays 15, 20 minutes a game next season. And then Jalen Withers and uh, uh, J.J. Trainer both were kind of playing out of position when they played the five last year. You'd love to see them to be able to move back to the four. So that's concern one. Two is who is the reliable ball handler on this team? Who is you've got a lot of combo guards and that's that, that's great. Love to have guys who can both. But is it is Jared West going to slide over? Noah Locke's like how he wants to play on the ball. Is L. Ellis good enough to slide right into that role immediately? Because everything I've heard about L. Ellis is phenomenal athlete, good shooter, but if he's your primary ball handler, you're going to have some trouble. It certainly seems right now like unless we use this one scholarship to go out and get it uh, another. Another grad transfer point guard or an elite freshman point guard or something like that. Ellis is probably going to be your primary ball handler next season. And that's uh, in, unless everybody who watched him play is just wrong. That's a little bit concerning. Yeah. And I was going to ask you that with this open scholarship from David going pro, do you see us using that on a, you know, a, 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 a transfer? Or do you see us using as a, you know, just bringing in a freshman eventually? If I had to guess, and, and I think that the staff is kind of, I say the staff, it's basically Chris Mack right now. Uh, I, I think Mack is kind of open to sitting and waiting because I mean, we see it every single day now. There yeah. are still high-profile transfers entering the portal. And now, just today, this uh, again on Wednesday, we found out that the NCAA is officially going to have this one-time transfer waiver for next season where, guys, it doesn't matter what your situation is. If you transfer for next year, you're eligible. You're, you're good to go. You're, you're immediately ready to go. And I think that there is going to be as many guys as we've already seen go in the portal. There's probably going to be another surge based on this news. And so who knows who's going to be available? And you've got until July. I think July 11th maybe is the is the date that people have to decide. You've got a couple of months here to, to hang around and, and see who if, if anybody comes available. And if there's nobody out there that you really, really like right now, why not sit on that scholarship for a few months and see if you can find a, a guy who can be a total game changer for you next season, regardless of, of what Carly Jones winds up deciding to do. And I think that's what you're going to see Mac uh, end up doing. But here comes the big debate. And this is the one that I've seen Louisville fans debating for the last 12 hours or so, or however long it's been since David Johnson's news officially became official. Do you go, we mentioned two problems there. Do you go backcourt or do you go frontcourt? if we're assuming that whoever you're bringing in with this one scholarship is a guy who could really, really help you, which area would you prioritize? Oh man, I honestly would. And I know Malik, the health issues and everything, I would probably lean towards the backcourt. I just think we have to have more options in creating. Um, I just look at this roster and like, I mean, we are set at a two, three and four. I mean, we we are very deep in those positions. Well, granted, everybody stays that, you know, and there's no more transfers. Um, we're obviously set there. Um, but I trust Malik to hold down the five. I know the injuries are a concern, but like from a basketball standpoint, I trust him to hold down more minutes than I trust of an incoming Juco guy to be able to lead the team. Um, I, I just think it's important to have a, another ball handler and someone that can create off the bounce, especially with all the shooters we're going to have on the team this year. Um, I, for me, that would be a priority. 
I'm actually right there with you. I feel like most Louisville fans have said we need to go get a big. And look, if we went out and got a quality big, I, I certainly wouldn't hate it. I think that would be great. But I think that right now, having a just really reliable ball handler, a, a guy it doesn't have to be, you know, Peyton Steve, it doesn't have to be Carly Jones, but a, a guy kind of like Kristen Cunningham, cut from that cloth, who, who you feel like can go out there and handle ACC presses, can handle the load of playing a full season at, at the point. I would. That's where my focus would be right now. But again, I don't know if that player's out there. I don't know if he's going to be out there, but we'll have to wait and see. I, I'm, I'm, I haven't done my research. How much can West handle the ball? He can handle it well enough. Um, okay. He's, he's sort of like, he's more athletic than Locke, but he's not super. He's certainly not L. Ellis. He's more shifty than he is athletic. Uh, he gets to the rim well enough, but I think the concern with it feels weird saying this considering what we just saw from Carl Lake Jones, but maybe the concern with West is sort of the concern we had with Carl Lake last year. How does he do it going up a significant step in, in competition? Um, yeah. Carl Lake had no trouble going from the, the big South to the ACC. I don't think, you know, he's more of an outlier than he is the norm um, with Noah Locke. At least, you know, he can do it at the highest of levels. He, he started for the last three years in the SEC, Florida plays a really competitive non-conference schedule. Jared West, I will say, though, the year that Marshall went to the NCAA tournament a couple of seasons ago and, you know, upset, um, oh, God, who did they beat in the first round? They lost to West Virginia in the second round, but they upset some, I think it was Wichita State in the first round. He was fantastic in those games. He, he played real well. He fit Dan D'Antoni's Dan system really well. But that's kind of the, the only other thing that I worry about when it comes to the two guys that we're bringing in, not Matt Cross, but the, the two guys that we've brought in over the last month, they both played in kind of freewheeling systems where it was, you know, Dan D'Antoni does the advanced analytics stuff. He likes taking shots early in the shot clock, a lot of threes, um, a lot of free-flowing stuff on offense. And then, like we said, with Mike White, nobody can really figure out what the fuck he's doing down in Florida. Like, like who knows what's going on there uh, with Noah Locke. You're going in, you're going from those two systems to a very I don't know what the right word is with, with Chris Mack, but a very just sort of the reins are the reins are tightened on the offensive end. A good way to put it, and I, I don't know how that change happens. We would have had a better indication had Charles Minlin been healthy this year because San Francisco is is certainly another one of those systems where you take a bunch of threes, you, you, it's freewheeling, high tempo, all that good stuff. And if Minlin had adjusted you know, brilliantly to Louisville this past season, I think you would have had more confidence. But that's a, sort of a, another concern. But again, I'm getting nitpicky. I like both these guys. I like a lot of the pieces we have on this roster. It's just a matter of piecing them all together and seeing what works best. And that's why Chris Mack gets paid a shitload of money. Like, this is on him. And we've talked on past podcasts since uh, since Louisville got left out of the NCAA tournament about, about just how crucial the season's going to be. And that's task one for Mack is figuring out you know, who goes with who, what lineup works best. And I think having a hopefully normal offseason, a normal summer where these guys are able to do that team building stuff and have, you know, the, the full offseason workouts, the full offseason practices should go a long way towards helping him achieve that. But it's, man, this is as significant an offseason as we've had for a Louisville basketball team yeah. in quite some time. It's funny. <laughs> if you would have made, if like we would have made the NCAA tournament this year, with these additions, like every one I've been like, oh my God, this is great. We got Matt Cross, like, oh my God, Noah Locke can shoot the lights out. Like, what an addition. But, you know, getting these guys, now I'm just like, okay, let's prove it. Um, right. I, I, I want to see what you can do. I want to see the roster that you end up building out. 
I want to see what this quote unquote change in style that apparently might happen over the next year is going to be because um, I don't know. I mean, the only thing that's sticking in my mind is, is how we kind of played down the stretch uh, last year. And obviously we don't want to go through that again. So what, you know, whoever he's bringing in, um, we have no choice, but to trust them, uh, trust that he can build out a competitive roster here. So I'm excited, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not going to go overboard and, you know, claim we're going to be a, you know, a top three team in the ACC or anything like that. It's so true. I, I mean, I, I know this is a point that I feel like we've beaten to death over the last month, but the margin for error, the line between glory and failure in college basketball in the month of March is so, so thin. And I mean, go back to Selection Sunday, the the last region's coming up. And the consensus amongst people who follow this sort of thing is that it's going to be Louisville versus Michigan State in the first four. Like there's one spot left. There are two spots left on that 11 line. They're going to Michigan State, Louisville, or UCLA. Most people assume Michigan State is locked into one of those spots. And for that last spot, they, again, the majority of people believe that Louisville's going to get it. They don't. All of a sudden, it's panic amongst the Louisville fan base. Chris Mack is – you know, one of the most criticized coaches in America. And UCLA goes on this miracle run where Mick Cronin is suddenly, you know, John. He's going to lead the Rose Bowl parade next year. I mean, seriously, <laughs> like, he, he's like the biggest thing in L.A. besides LeBron. Like, like he's, he's suddenly John Wooden uh, reincarnated. And they go to the Final Four. They play in this incredible game against Gonzaga. And, like, that spot, you could have made the argument. You could have made it very easily. Should have belonged to us. And instead, here we are talking about uh, just how there's no trust in anything with Louisville basketball. And that's not me making an excuse for Chris Mack. It's just pointing out, uh, I mean, just how small that, that line is in, in this sport. And that's it's the great thing about it. It's the worst thing about it. March gives, March takes away. It happens every single year. And this is just the latest example. But you're totally right. It, had Louisville made the NCAA tournament, even if they'd lost that game against Michigan State or whoever on first four Thursday, I feel like everybody would be viewing things very differently. And yet here we are. But UCLA also getting like preseason top five love from everybody. I'm like, is this? I mean, what, yeah. what are we doing here? But hey, they looked really good. They Mick earned it. Uh, no yep. We got to just sit there and take it. Let me ask you this. Any concern of you of how long it's taken Mac to get an assistant on staff? Yeah, let's get into that because, you know, we asked for questions last week. And most of the questions that have been coming up have still been about uh, the assistant coaches. I'll reiterate again. I, I think that people keep talking about we need to fill two assistant coaching spots. I think it's really just one spot. Uh, Khalil Fennel, I'd be shocked if he doesn't get the promotion from uh, Dobo to assistant coach. So you're talking about one spot that's out there. Um, they did interview the guy from Indiana who chose to stick around there, which is why Xavier Johnson is going uh, from Pitt to IU. He was They were kind of a package deal. But the only two names that I've really heard, uh, Brandon Knight, which would be – fantastic news for super pit fan jeff greer over there uh, former legend there uh, i know Louisville has some interest and then kamani young from yukon who's the associate head coach under dan hurley right now um maybe there are more names out there that i just don't know about but those are the two that i've heard um is it concerning i don't know i mean i think chris mack really wants to get this higher right uh and understandably so i mean this is a, a huge huge piece to his staff, he needs to bring in somebody good, somebody who has a good, solid reputation and who can really help on the recruiting trail because, you know, Luke Murray was sort of the recruiting guy. I know Mike Beast has done a lot too, but Murray was a, a big part of that. He was very well connected. 
you know, is everybody on those recruiting circuits. You've got to find somebody who's cut from that cloth, too. So I, I won't say overly concerning just yet. Yeah, I think I think landing Noah Locke while we don't have that assistant spot filled might have just kind of eased the fears that, OK, you know, he's taking his time and he, he, he wants to get the right guy. And at least we know that it's not causing us to lose players. So um, I think that's a good thing. But I'm I am very interested to see who they bring in, because I think this is an absolute key position. Um, you know, I, I, I think. Obviously, recruiting to me is what drives uh, a success of a basketball team. So, I mean, obviously, you're, you're going to want to get someone in there that has great connections. Yeah, I, I do think that it's been, I don't know if comforting is the right way to put it, but it's a, I'll say it anyway, it's a little bit comforting that Louisville hasn't had like a total mass exodus and they're not able to bring anybody in because we're seeing those types of off seasons across college basketball. There are, there are high-profile programs. There are major conference programs that have lost eight, nine, ten guys to transfers over the past three, four weeks. And Louisville hasn't had that happen just yet. The guys, the two guys that everybody knew were going to leave, even in the middle of the season, uh, have left. They've been able to – even David Johnson thought long about his decision. Carly Jones is still torn, which is surprising. You haven't had anybody, like, bad-mouthing the coaches, even though they're – was reportedly some unrest from some guys when Dino Gaudio uh, and Luke Murray were let go. But you haven't seen any sort of like just massive Cincinnati-esque type disruptions. And you've actually been able to bring in some quality pieces. Matt Cross, Noah Locke, and Jared West are three guys that Chris Mack targeted. And he was able to, to sell them on coming here. So I think that's a good thing. And even the guys who have left, like Aiden Agahan, had no hard feelings when he you know, landed at Grand Canyon. Josh Nickelberry had some very complimentary things to say. They put out a, a release where Mac was quoted and he was quoted. So it hasn't been – I know that some folks to the east of us were saying, you know, program in turmoil and all that bullshit. But it, it certainly has not looked that way from the outside. It, it's been better than it could have been, I guess, the, the right way to no, put it. No, I, I completely agree. And, I mean, we can, we can dog Mac and – you know, the team for not making the tournament last year. But uh, obviously, I think by getting the guys that he's gotten here um, and, and kind of keeping this team for the most part together with the, ex, you know, the expected departures like you talked about, it kind of speaks about the culture that he has built from that standpoint. Um, so it seems like we have that part down. Now we just need to translate everything from a basketball side to a success standpoint, and we'll be good. Yeah, I mean, keeping the, the nucleus of last year's team, the, the younger guys around, it is so huge. I know there have been rumors about seemingly every player this offseason, maybe the biggest. Uh, I'm sure everybody listening has heard something about Sam Williamson. You know, Sam's leaving, Sam's going pro, Sam's staying, Sam's doing whatever. Um, there was some talk that maybe he was looking at Texas when they made the hire of Chris Beard. Don't think that's going to happen, even though Devin Askew does wind up at Texas, which was a little bit of a stunner to everybody involved. But uh, Sam, it sounds like, is is going to stick around. I say that he'll probably wind up announcing something in the next 48 hours. But you know, you're keeping Jalen Withers, you're keeping JJ Trainer, Dre Davis. Uh, by all indications, all those guys are coming back, and that's huge. I mean, in a year where everybody it seems like is is entering the transfer portal or at least testing it out, to keep those guys who you feel so confident about developing over the next two or three seasons is enormous and it makes you feel it makes you feel like at least you have a fighting chance next year to be top 15 ish uh you know make the ncaa tournament as a decent seed 
and then see what happens. So, um, again, still has everything still has the potential to get wild in, in the weeks to come. It's an offseason unlike any other in college basketball. But so far, I mean, maybe not the greatest offseason in the world, but it's hard to say it's been anything other than good. I think that that's a safe way to put it. Yep. No, I, it's just uh, like I said earlier, as much as I kind of just nod my head in agreement with some of these moves, I, I'm not doing cartwheels over them because I, I, I want to see how it translates. Um, or how it translates and how the roster builds out before, you know, obviously we get excited about anything. Uh, we're going to answer a couple of, of leftover questions from Twitter. Try to keep this podcast a little bit shorter than the last couple. But before we answer questions, I want to remind you guys, podcast brought to you by our friends over at Homefield Apparel. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Check out their wide array of college sports gear. It's not just Louisville stuff. If you want a UC Irvine Anteaters, uh, Anteaters Surfing Wave t-shirt, they can make that happen if you want. I don't know. For national championship here for whatever reason, they can make that happen as well. They've got D3 schools, D2 schools, a bunch of D1 schools. And, of course, they don't have Kentucky, which is fantastic. And when you check out, if you want to use that promo code Hard Chronicle, it'll save you 20% on your first purchase. For all the latest Home Field Apparel releases, follow them on social media. They're at Home Field Apparel on Instagram. On Twitter, they're at Home, home Field Apparel without an E in apparel there. Uh, follow them there. They're just a, a good follow, good dudes, great company, great products. Big shout out, as always, to Home Field Apparel. All right, we're going to answer some quick Twitter questions here. People are, are uh, wanting us to talk a little bit more about baseball. Dan, how much of the – I feel like I can never catch the Cardinal 9 and really get into it until after basketball season. How much of the, of the baseball team have you been able to follow so far this year? Uh, it's weird. I, I, I will say I haven't really looked them up, but I catch their scores, and then I catch little blurbs on Twitter. I, I had thought they started out slow, and then I think I saw that – was I wrong? They're they're in the top five. I know they they took a couple from Florida State recently. Um, you probably have a better sense of what's going on than I do. Dude, college baseball polls are the weird. We we can shit on college football and college basketball top twenty fives. Baseball is weirder than any other sport. They've got seven of them. It, it there's no consistency. I don't know how to calculate this type of thing. I, I do love that every program just uses whatever their highest ranking is. Um, because at the beginning of the, at one point this year, Arkansas was number one in six of seven polls. Louisville was number one in one. But when we lost to Morehead State, every headline was like, Morehead State topples number one Louisville. So um, it, it's weird that their record is not that great. Their RPI is like 61, and yet they're number two, I think, in the Baseball America top 25 poll. So I, I don't know. The, the issue right now with this team seems to be they're not as deep pitching-wise as they have been in the past. And that's really shown in their, their midweek struggles when they play those Tuesday night games. Uh, they've had some issues there. They did take two of three from Florida State last weekend. They got a big series with Virginia coming up this weekend. And one of the only good things about having that terrible weather in Florida was I was able to watch pretty much every single pitch of the, the Florida State game on Saturday, the, the game where Louisville won on the walk-off after the really questionable hit-by-pitch call overturn in the uh, the top of the 10th. Uh, that was fun. That was cool. I... I don't know. I mean, they certainly haven't seemed quite as dominant in the first couple months of the season as some of the, the teams in recent years, but they're right there. Uh, you, you never know. And maybe not having that really hot, crazy, awesome first two and a half months is what we need to get over the hump and win a national title. But uh, like we've talked about, 
this listlessness, I hate to use that word, but I feel like it's appropriate right now with Louisville sports where it just seems like everybody's waiting for something. There's not a whole lot of buzz right now. Winning a College World Series, I think, would provide that. Even for fans who don't follow the baseball team and don't really care that much about baseball, seeing the cards dogpile on national TV and hosting a, hoisting a national championship trophy, I think, would be an awesome thing to, to follow this summer. And I hope it happens. It'd be great. What? Let me. I'm not to put you on the spot. What's the uh, What's the story on like the regional host this year? Aren't they like doing away with like the top eight teams hosting or something like that? I, and that's a neutral site, or did I read that wrong? Yeah, they're going to have set regional and super regional sites, which is, I don't really understand the... Yeah, I hate that. It's a dumb decision. Uh, Louisville, I think, would have a good shot at hosting both those things. But you're now putting yourself in a position where you could have a super regional that's hosted by a team that's not even participating. And that would, I mean, the environment, the atmosphere would, it's probably going to be diminished anyway, but it would really, really suck. I don't really understand the whole point of that, but... Yeah, that's something that's going to happen this year, but uh, we'll see. It just as long as the cards are a part of it, it'll be fun. Um, yeah. Let's see here. People keep asking about front court rules. If you had to pick, do we want a, a four or a five? I think that's pretty obvious. I, I think you want a five. Jalen Withers, if, if, as long as he can play the four, I feel like you've got an all-conference caliber player at that spot. Am I just a little bit overboard there or not? No, I I – I'm excited to see what he's going to turn into when he gets to play his natural position. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're debating between a four and a five, to me, it's it's a no-brainer. I'm I'm really interested to see if or what Roosevelt gives us this year because when he was healthy from, like, I mean, again, I'm going off high school tape. He looked like someone that, like, you could really work with um, from, like, an offensive post-move standpoint, but – uh, that could be very far away. I have no idea. I'm just going off a two-minute highlight video, so we'll see. Uh, let's see here. Jason says, hold on. Uh, what's the brand of Louisville football right now? Um, <laughs> good question. Um, team cookies? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I – you know, you see this every off season where like when the guys on the team go through workouts, they're like, man, wait to see, wait till you see what we got in store this year. And like you want to get excited, but I feel like we heard the same thing last year and it was like, oh, well, actually, we have nothing in store. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'll give them the benefit of doubt just because last year was so weird. Um, we, lo- we did lose a whole lot on offense. That scares me. Um, but again, we, we also, I mean, I guess the brand right now is turnovers and we're looking to change that brand. It's a fair question because I mean, if you ask the question, like what is Louisville football selling right now? I don't know how to answer that. You know, with two years ago, it was Scott Satterfield, new era, culture shift, all that stuff. And then after we had such a surprisingly positive 2019 with last year, it was kind of, you know, offensive firepower, taking the next step, competing with the, the the top tier of the ACC, all that good stuff. And then that, again, fairly or not, totally fell by the wayside with, with last year's season. I think the turnovers played a huge part, but you're losing like the exciting speed, the big time playmakers and JV and Hawkins and Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick. The defense got better last year, but certainly it still was not a a strong suit. There's no question about that. Recruiting has been fine, but you're not bringing in guys that, you know, 
you're not you're not bringing in like Teddy Bridgewater's that the fan base is just they, they know all about them. They, they know their whole life story. They can't wait to see them uh, take a rep in spring practice, all that stuff that we experienced with Charlie Strong and a little bit under Bobby Petrino. It's just I don't know, man. I, I feel like it would be totally different if the years had been reversed, if if 2019 was the year where we won four games and kind of showed a little bit of progress. And then last year we surprised everybody by going eight and five and winning a bowl game and beating some ranked teams in the ACC. I feel like there'd be a lot more excitement for us to build on that. But because those, those roles were reversed now, I don't think anybody knows what to think right yeah. now. And the Satterfield flirtation, I don't think you can overstate the importance of that too. Like that definitely plays a part in all this. We've kind of already talked at nauseum about how you know, when he first got here, it was, quote, like a family atmosphere. And then going into year two, we kept the entire staff. Um, and then, you know, this offseason, a lot of the staff leaves for – and that's the thing. Like, the, the, on paper, they look like better opportunities. But you, you do wonder, are, are, were, they, were they looking? Because we obviously know Scott Satterfield was looking at one point. Um, but you know, most of the situations, they end up seem like promotions for them. So obviously good for those assistants, but it it does make you question with them leaving, you know, just how tight knit or together this, you know, program and staff actually is at the moment. Nick says, uh, he says, first of all, RIP DMX, second of all, favorite DMX song. Yeah, that was also happened while I was in Florida. Uh, terrible news. I was a huge DMX fan back in the day. Um, I loved, like, one of the cool things when DJ K-Dog started doing games at Cardinal Stadium was, you know, me saying, like, Rough Riders Anthem, let's play this thing. And then he started playing it, and it became, like, a thing. Like, for a while there, something good happened every time that song was played. Then it became every, something bad happened every time that song was played. That was a whole lot of fun. DMX, for a period of time, I have to mention this, I was one of the 61 people that he followed on Twitter. That was awesome. That's uh, so cool. The day he unfollowed me was one of the worst days of my life, though. It was just new man. I mean, what? What? How do you think that happened? Did he accidentally hit a button, or like, do you think he just saw something and was just like, "All right, I'm following this guy." No, I know exactly what happened. Like, he doesn't. Shockingly, DMX did not control any of his own social media. Um, the guy who I think was his manager for a period of time, he actually friended me on a, a bunch of social media platforms. And he started following me after I had tweeted something about trying to get DMX to perform at Cardinal Stadium. And I think he thought, like, I, I was somebody who could make this happen, like, foolishly. And so he followed me. Um, and then probably realized very quickly that I had no power whatsoever when it comes to this stuff. I just forgot to unfollow me. And then when somebody else took over the account, I noticed they just unfollowed but uh, he didn't have a blue check so that was i fell by the wayside at that time <laughs> i'm like trying to like picture like the guy going through the checklist he's like kanye west keep it's like uh like you know some other like i was literally right next to little kim i was literally right next <laughs> little, to little kim, kim. Keep. it's like at card chronicle it's like you want to look this guy up real quick yeah it was like well i mean yeah it was the, the worst part about it was uh one of our friends um Craig had been brat like the day I got unfollowed, literally the day he'd been bra- telling people at work the story about how his buddy got followed by DMX, and they all looked it up and they all were like, "You're such a fucking liar." I was like, "I'm, I'm sorry. I, I feel worse about this than anybody." But uh, favorite DMX song of all time, man. I love "Dark and Hell Is Hot" in 1998. Was like I listened, to it, I wore that thing out. But it's probably, I mean, if you can't get jacked up listening to "What's My Name," I don't know what's wrong with you. 
Yeah. Uh, I would probably lean that way, but just to show a little diversity, uh, X going to give it to you probably. I know it's uh, one of his more popular songs, but um, and I sound very white reading the title. <laughs> But um, I, I wanted to make sure that was the name of the song. But it's like I'm not going to actually spew the lyrics right now, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, we should uh, we should probably move on. It's like next question from Nick. I want to hear Dan give his best DMX growl. It's like X going to give it to you. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Uh, the only other, before we, I'll close the book on DMX after this. I love, like, like, all these cool stories have come out about him, which is one of the only positive things when you lose somebody like this. But um, Rob Minardi, who was the, the son of uh, Billy Minardi, he told me a story back in the day. I actually put the picture on the website, I think, seven or eight years ago. But uh, after his dad had passed away on 9-11, apparently DMX lived pretty close to the Minardis and found out about it. Uh, found out that this had happened and bought this like RC car for Rob and came over to the house and spent the whole day with him playing with it, gave him his phone number and said, call me whenever you want. Like, don't hesitate if you ever need anything. Like, I'm I'm right nearby. And, you know, something that he obviously didn't need to do anything like that. And I, I know he endeared himself to that entire family. So um, just a, a very cool guy. I hate that he you know didn't get to live as full a life as he should have. But and again, this is a pro DMX podcast. We'll always love you, X. Um, let's see here. Well, we can end on this one here. Uh, a lot of people want to give us a shit for talking too much about the Reds last time. And then the Reds now. I was wondering when this was going to get yeah. brought up. Yeah. A lot of, a lot, lot of Reds talk, a lot of talk about the Reds West coast trip here. Well, uh, they've lost four or five last night. Really hurt. Um, we really could have used that one. They lost. 7-6, we had a four-run lead with our ace on the mound in the first inning, couldn't get it done. I still, I, I don't know, I, I still like the team. The The bullpen is starting to make me very nervous, um, but we just need to get, the West Coast trips are always weird. We never do well out in the West Coast. We come home, we got Cleveland. I think right now we're 7-5, and five. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's, let's take two out of three from Cleveland and, and go from there. We'll end on this one because I love that it's an actual doctor asking this question. But Dr. Jonathan Ballman uh, asks, which is the bigger coaching mistake by Gordon Bombay, starting Goldberg over Julie the Cat or letting Averman take every face off? <laughs> Averman just fucking sucked. He was he terrible. He gets the shit kicked out of him after every face off. Every puck drops Averman on his ass in two seconds. Like it's it's every single time they do it. Um, we, we have to talk about this real quick because for years, I mean, back like in high school, I've been touting, we've been ranking like the best Mighty Ducks players. And I keep telling everyone that'll listen that Guy Germain was the best Mighty Ducks player and everyone would make fun of me and they'd say Adam Banks obviously is the best, blah, blah, blah. Well, the Ringer had an article like a couple weeks ago and they ranked all the players Sure enough, number one, Guy Germain, my guy. It was the it was probably the most validating thing I've had happen to me in 20 years. It was unbelievable. The story was hilarious. The the Goldberg being out of position in the net montage <laughs> made me laugh my ass off. It was totally invalidated by not having Adam Banks in number one. <laughs> I mean, fine player. Banks is 
He's the alpha of the fucking Hawks who run the Pee Wee League. He's the only one who makes the varsity team uh, in D3, which I, I don't acknowledge, but still. He's he's so good that Charlie gives up his spot for him in D2. Like, he changes the entire gold medal game by just being healthy. He's clearly the best player. Okay, the- if you go back and watch all of them, if Seth Davis wrote an article about glue guys and Pee Wee hockey, Guy Germain gets it. He He's the Draymond Green of... He, he does everything. He's around oh, the puck. He passes. Exactly right. He scores. He's the Draymond Green. He's not the Steph Curry. He's not Clay Thompson. He's Draymond. You're. I totally agree. Well, I mean, he's MVP of the team. I. 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 I don't know what else to say. He's. It, hockey's different. Okay. Draymond was a bad example, but I, the guy does it all. Is what I'm trying to say. You were hoisted by your own petard. There. That was. You walked right into it. That was awful. Um. To answer the question, though, the bigger mistake is not starting Julie the Cat. I mean, she's clearly – Goldberg is not just a slightly worse goalie than Julie the Cat. He's like one of the worst goalies in the history of hockey. Like, he can't he's – he's a fucking joke. He can't stand. Everybody makes fun of him. He's, he's afraid of the puck at the beginning of D1. And Julie the Cat is so good that she – I mean, the, the, she saves the entire gold medal game. They would have never even had to be in that position had you just started her from day one. It's an unforgivable coaching error, but that's um, that's my answer. Yeah, it was Goldberg was the definition of like riding with the veteran for too long um, when you had the young gun waiting in the wings. But I mean, answering the question though, uh, to me, Averman on any faceoff just a, a flat out disaster. Averman's a fucking joke. I, I can't yeah, believe they yeah. even invited him back to D2. It's ridiculous. I you know. Got, he he should have got cut. The other Hall brother out there is just like, what the fuck, Averman? Um, but anyways, do you have a – we already kind of did Dan the Dumps and Mike in the Mud. Do you have anything else that you want to add on that front, or are we good to go? Um, I'll, I'll, just a quick one. My son's first soccer game was on Saturday, and – First five seconds of the game, he comes down and scores, and he's obviously very excited. He had like all of his like six year old teammates like running at him like with their hand out like waiting for a high five. I have no idea where he got this, but he started doing the airplane like all the way down the field, just completely <laughs> ignoring every single teammate. Ran to me on the other side of the field to give me a high five. I was like, what are you doing? Get back out there and high five your teams. He had like the parents laughing in stitches. So uh, a very, uh, it was a a cool moment, but uh, also as a parent, um, kind of an embarrassing one as well. Oh, Camp Snart fan club. I'm chief member there. Uh, Again, we remind you guys, or we ask you guys to subscribe to the podcast. It's the easiest way to find out when there's a new episode available. And if you can give us a, a nice rating and a nice review, that helps us out as well. We love to read the reviews on the episodes. We got two new ones for this week. Um, Shot877 says the headline is Best Taekwondin Fan Club. Uh, absolutely, there's no question about that. The body of the comment is just Bobby did nothing wrong, which I, I, I could take some issue with, but that's okay. Like, you know, we love all Bobby, the- Bobby's having a little bit of success right now. Yeah, we should mention Bob, Bobby Petrino wins the Missouri Valley Conference Championship in his first year at Missouri State. I think they went like two and nine the year before or something. So, that, I mean, props to him for making that turnaround. Anytime, Talk- like, I see, like, just because you hear Bobby give interviews and you're like, how can, like, he endear himself to these players? But 
And then you see, like, you know, the players dumping Powerade on him and putting on their shoulders. I'm like, well, I guess whatever he's doing over there, he's doing it pretty well. Talk to us after year four Bears. Like, that's, yeah. that's something that I'll say. Like, year one, Bobby, doesn't get much better. Year four, Bobby, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, GatorFan157 says, what separates Mike and Dan from the rest of Louisville media is their comedic effect. Always got great stories to tell outside of Cardinal Athletics, but also talk the latest and analyze the current happenings within Cardination. I love these guys. We love you, too. How do you feel about being called media, though, Dan? <laughs> there is, like, nothing farther away than media than me right now. So um, I've, I've never had to actually interview anyone. And if I did, um, well, that would be one to tune in for, folks. My goal for the rest of 2021 is to get you a press pass for something. You don't even have to use it. I just want I just want you to have a press pass. Like your goofy picture on there for like, I don't even know. Uh, bats, season pass, Louisville bats. You live in Columbia, yeah. you care. I mean, here, let me let me take one pitch here. Give me a bat. Hold up. I'm going to grab one here. One hack. I'm like, oh. who the fuck is this kid? Yeah. All right. Uh, we're we're going to be back next week. We are going to branch out and do more uh, different things with the podcast coming up. Talk more football. Talk more offseason stuff. Uh, I think we're going to do a couple more of the uh, past game reviews, give you homework assignments to watch. Hopefully it's going to be a fun offseason. I think there's a lot of different things that we can do this year that we weren't really able to do last year when we're in the middle of a pandemic. But this is probably going to be the only episode for this week because uh, Dan's going to be tra- uh, traveling. I assume that you and your wife have talked about it and you're both going to be tra- traveling to Louisville together. Uh, and we'll see you this weekend. Uh, but until we talk to you guys again, go Cards. Go Cards.